Hello, I'm here today with Scott Jensen. Scott's been a designer for over 20 years. His previous employers included Apple, Symbian, and Frog. Scott is now part of the team at Google. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. I'd like to start off with a post that you wrote not too long ago about empathy. Um, you noted that it's an important trait for designers to possess. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean and what the context is there? Yeah, this post came out of a little frustration I had because um, it's a common thing for designers to have a programmer walk up to them and say, hey, can you give me a book on design? I want to learn more. <laughs> and they're very well-meaning, and I would never, ever discourage anyone from learning more about design. But it tends to be done in such a way of, all I need is one book. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I'll often smile and, and say, <laughs> well, hey, can you uh, give me a book on programming so I can program too? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you do it with a smile, people kind of laugh and they understand and it makes it, but it made me realize that we really do need to have people talk about design and a lot more design people outside of design discipline talking about it. And when I reflected on what I wanted people to understand was the core thing is it wasn't a technique, it wasn't a visual style, it wasn't learning a certain program. Hmm. The core thing was making sure that you'd never thought about the product from your point of view, but from somebody else's point of view. And that's what prompted the post. Interesting. Okay. So I'd like to dig in a little bit deeper on that. Um, you noted four types of empathy um, in that same post. You can tell I really like this post. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about what you mean there? Because I think that will give uh, the listeners a, a little bit better understanding of, of where we're going with this. Yeah, I basically trying to take the whole design process from soup to nuts and break it up into four types of things. What I called understanding, bridging, flowing, and refining, mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit of wordplay, but it was just really trying to say that you know most people talk about the icons and the buttons, mm -hmm. and that's the, that's the last category, the refining. Um, and then I, what I tried to do was to go back in time to get earlier and earlier interactions with people. So the flowing is basically just how the whole program feels and what metaphors do you use and how many steps do they take. It's kind of a, the level above the bits. And then bridging was about matching the technology to the actual user needs. Mm -hmm. And the most important one, the one that we actually did, tried to do the most when I was at Frog Design was understanding, which was just to understand what people were doing, what they were up to, what where they were at. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to the point where you're not even designing a product for them. So one of the reasons why I think this post got some positive response was the fact that I was, the first two were so f clearly focused on user research. Right. Because it's kind of an underappreciated aspect of design often. Interesting. Okay. You also noted in that, um, that post that it's ironic that designers are passionate about how a product interacts with people, but not how they themselves interact with their team. Um, and it, it, it leads me to the question that I continue to ask, which is, you know, myself is, can you, can you teach empathy? Um, you know, and, and if so, how, I mean, it's really a mindset, right? Well, in fact, I think there's two questions or mm. two points that you're bringing up in your question. Uh, the main reason I brought that up is that UX designers are passionate about getting all the little details right on the screen, but they're not passionate about getting the details right and talking to their team. So mm. I was kind of tweaking the nose of designers to say, you need to design your way of working, hmm. not not just your product. So to me, that was the the most provocative statement in the post, mm -hmm. and the, and the one that very few people responded to. So I was a, a little disappointed in that. Um, but that was the aspect of of that I wanted the UX people to realize is that we tend to be in our own little silos and we don't 
think outside very much. We need to be more empathetic ourselves. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was where that sentence came from. But your other point, though, is, you know, can empathy be taught? And um, that's a much more challenging question. Yeah. And, and, I mean, clearly we're now getting into deep sociological issues, and I don't want to kind of go down that rabbit hole too far, <laughs> you know. But I do feel that I was a bit of a blockhead when I first started in my career. And what really softened me up was actually doing user testing. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I, I like to joke that I have scars all over my body of all the products I've designed that have failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And and it, you just need to fail and fail frequently in user testing before it finally gets through your thick head that designing for yourself doesn't work or what you think is cool doesn't necessarily work. So if I can learn it, I'd like to think others can. Interesting. Okay. Well, and there's also the play there that, you know, I hear an awful lot that people are relying on data to inform their designs. But it's not so much that data is the, the, you know, the silver bullet that you, you you get the data and you can figure out now what to do you know what what to create and how to how to develop the product that you're you're creating you know it's to me that feels like a bit of a crutch um and that there needs to be a deeper understanding and i that's why i think the empathy piece of it is so important both whether you're talking about product design or just working in these these cross discipline teams Oh, I, I would agree, and, and that's where I guess I'd go back to my four different groups, right? I think that using data is a very powerful tool, mm. one of many tools that you can use, and it's probably safe to say that if you are refining a product, data is a very powerful tool. Hmm. So you can then say, well, you know, do people click on this or this, or do they prefer this label or this label, or what's the completion rate, or how do we improve conversion? All of those things can be answered very effectively with data. Um, but if you are trying to figure out if it's a good product or if you're trying to figure out what the user need is mm. or if it's a transformative product, then you've got to move a little bit further up the stack. And I don't think data is as valuable there. Okay. Yeah. Good point. So you're, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. You're working on the physical web project at Google, and I'd love for you to share with folks what that is um, and what the goals of it are. Well, the physical web was a project that came out of a very simple UX need. Uh, the fact that there are a lot of smart devices that are coming out, mm-hmm. and all these smart devices right now all have their own applications, mm-hmm. and it's just going to not scale. I mean, I don't have anything against apps. I mean, I'm a big web guy. I've been involved in the web for an awful long time, and I don't want this to be a web versus native discussion. That's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I'm just referring to the fact that if we believe in Moore's Law at all, we're going to have billions of these devices and probably hundreds of them in our lives, both at home but also in public places for transit or in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to have to have an app for every one of these things, it's just not going to scale. So it was about trying to fix that problem. And so we've come up with a mechanism for devices to broadcast using uh, a type of Wi-Fi but also Bluetooth low energy. Okay. And it can, and it can broadcast URLs so that way you can then on your phone you can scan for everything in the environment and then you can list what's nearby and you can click on it and because it's the web the superpower of the web is it's just a click mm. and you you go there you and these devices are simple right they're not this is not photoshop this is turning a light on <laughs> right and so you need a switch it's like so it's like it's the web is perfect for this you use it you lose it it's gone mm-hmm. and it's so it's a lightweight mechanism effectively for the interaction on demand we want to walk up and use anything quickly that's the that's kind of it in a nutshell Okay. Interaction on demand. I love that. So, you know, is the idea that these, these, um, 
apps appear to you as needed and disappear into the background. Uh, agreed. And in fact, often people kind of go, oh my God, this is going to be like ringing my phone off the hook. And <laughs> like, no, no, no. This is a, this is because this is, it, it's kind of ironic that here I am, this UX designer, and I am now deep in the bowels of Bluetooth low energy scan response <laughs> packets. It's, I've, I've been forced into technology, but we're trying to keep the UX as a primary driving goal. So the intention is that you have to take out your phone, you have to pull down the notification manager so that you're asking to see what's nearby. Then in the notification manager, you see the, the beacons that are nearby. Mm -hmm. And if you click on them, then you go. This, and I, I say that we have an FAQ on our GitHub. And we, we have a, one of our key points is that there's no proactive alerts to the user. The user is always in control. Uh, what we're trying to do is just make it two or three taps to get to it. Um, and th but then once you're tapping on it, you're on a website and you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But we're all about making sure that the users get there when they want it. That's perfect. That sounds lovely because the more, you know, the more you read and the more you see of um, the uh, immense amount of experimentation going on right now, um, it starts to frankly creep me out um, because I feel like we're going to live in a very noisy world. Um, so this sounds like this is addressing a lot of, uh, a lot of that. Well, especially concern. because a lot of the existing beacons that you see right now mm -hmm. tend to be quite the opposite. They're very proactive. You walk in the store and they want to offer you a coupon. And that's an understandable business need. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you just can't walk into a mall and have your phone dance out of your pocket. <laughs> you know, that just doesn't make sense. And so I think we need to have flip this around. And in some ways, I'd like to think of this as kind of trying to recapture the spirit of the web. Mm -hmm. we're, trying to, we're trying to create a new open way where anything can be available to you. And so instead of instead of searching the web, you're now searching the physical space around you. And we expect a lot of interesting things to be built on top of that. But it really needs to be done as an open web standard that very much respects users' privacies. They can't be tracked. Uh, this is open source. You know, there's uh, we, we don't want any one company to be able to control this. Great. Great. Um... You also, you know, I'd like for you to touch on the what you think perhaps the biggest misconceptions or misunderstandings of the physical web are. I don't know what what level of feedback you get on what you're doing there, but I'd love to hear what people are saying and and see if we can't correct some of that. Um, that's a very interesting question, and um, I think the there's a couple of questions that pop up. I mm -hmm. mean, the first one I almost always get is this: people worry that it's going to be shouty. And so we've already addressed that point. Mm -hmm. that we try very hard not to do that. Uh, the next one is that they're uh, so worried about tracking and, and that kind of thing, or that you know having. It's like, of course, Google wants to do this, and uh, of <laughs> course, of, of course, we're kind of like, please. There's this is a first of all, I'm in the Chrome team. The Chrome team, of course, is, is just filled with a bunch of Boy Scouts that just wants to make the web better. That's why I rejoined the Chrome team. It's a great group of people. And, and we are doing this in a way, uh, I have a whole post actually on my blog called Beacon Beacon Wherefore Art Thou Beacon, mm -hmm. where I address all of the privacy issues in detail. Everything for how we're not using scan response packets, so you can't do MAC address tracking, hmm. to how we're using a proxy server to make sure that you can't be fingerprinted, to making sure that we have an open source server so that there can be multiple, multiple companies that are doing their own servers, mm -hmm. so that, w that way you can move between different servers. Uh, to the fact that the whole thing is open source. So we are desperately trying to make this thing transparent, open, 
both in design and in source. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've even said that we would be thrilled if another company, another uh, browser, another phone operating system would do the physical web first. That would ap- we pop champagne corks if that happened, <laughs> right? Because this needs to be effectively an equivalent technology uh, in the browser. It's just like there's multiple browsers today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, we hope people will understand that this is meant to be a very egalitarian thing and people have lots of choices and they don't have to use uh, in any one particular company to make this work. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you've, you've, um, you've talked about standards in the past and I'd love to hear a little bit about what's going on um, with the standard space and you know, what you think needs to happen in order for standards, you know, a common set of standards to be adopted. Well, is this for the physical web in particular or for the Internet of Things? Which for, one do you mean? for the Internet of Things, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy to discuss both. Well, the problem I see with the Internet of Things is that it's this big, giant ball of awesome. Right? <laughs> and, 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 and people are so excited about what it can do, and, but it's kind of like the elephant of the blind men story, right? Everyone mm-hmm. describes it in a different way. And I feel like we need to break it down because there's so many pieces and each piece has its own standards discussion. And so, for example, you can drive a real, you can divide it in half really cleanly by talking about smart devices or smart networks. Hmm. And most of the energy is going into the, the smart networks discussion. Are you using Zigbee or Z-Wave or uh, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or, you know, M- MDNS? And then what kind of transport are you using? And, you know, what kind of JSON are you using? Are you using schema.org? And it just goes, 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 right? So there's a huge discussion about transport and meaning and mm-hmm. event models and so forth. So that's just, I'm going to take that big ball of, of <laughs> and just put that over there. And that's, that's the network discussion. There's clearly a huge need for technical standards to make things talk to each other. On the other side, we've got smart devices. Um, and those devices can be probably broken up into uh, autonomous things like sensors, mm-hmm. which frankly tie back into the networking side of things, and then uh, user-facing devices. And so that's the niche that we're carving out, is they're saying is, hey, if there's a device that wants to talk to you, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the standard that we want to propose. Now, this is a very tiny corner, and it's not the, all of the Internet of Things. But we're trying to create effectively an interaction platform mm-hmm. that is based on the web. And, and by the way, there's a huge advantage of using the web because the browser is such a user-protected space. It's got what we call the sandbox, the web sandbox, mm-hmm. which has all sorts of privacy controls and anti-tracking things built in. So, in fact, we had a heated debate on our GitHub recently about someone trying to bring interaction into the notification manager. Hmm. And we ended up concluding that we actually shouldn't do that. We should actually take you to the browser because the browser is a safer, better place for you to do all user interactions. And we may change our mind in in the future, but it lets you show how we are trying to leverage the existing standard of the web as much as we can. Excellent. Wow. Um, Can you recommend for anybody out there listening to this where where they might go to learn more about the standards part of of what we're talking about? Well, we we have two GitHubs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is uh, Physical Web, mm-hmm. uh, GitHub, githubs.com slash Google slash Physical Web. Mm-hmm. And that's the top level page. Um, okay. And I recommend that people go to the introduction document and the FAQ page to kind of get a broad overview. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a separate GitHub that just covers the Bluetooth low energy beacons. 
Hmm. Okay. called Yuri Beacon. And that's the standard that we very much want to uh, get standardized. And it's, it's a simple little packet that just basically embeds the URL in the, the Bluetooth Low Energy Advertising Packet. And that's ultimately what we need. We just need everybody to agree that this is how you share URLs using Bluetooth Low Energy. And if we get everybody to do that, we can frankly have multiple types of clients out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can even be proprietary. We don't care. But as long as everyone's broadcasting the URLs, we're in effect creating kind of a physical DNS, if I can get kind of mm -hmm. geek, geek speak on you. But mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and so that's the, the, the critical piece. And it's not really clear what standards body that falls into, but we have been having some preliminary conversations with the W3C about ways in which that we think this is an important thing to standardize on. It's not part of the browser. It's basically a sensor for the browser. Right. That's a great way to describe it. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you making time today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for talking.